0: One of my fundamental beliefs about about learning is that it's social, and that learning occurs through collaboration. And um, but that also very much fits how I learn best. And so for some of our kids, learning isn't social, and that social element or that collaboration element we all we all know the kids when we were in school who didn't want to do the group project, or who wanted to be independent and to to do their own thing whether that's their own topic whether that's complete their assignment on their own and so this virtual element allows for a degree of independence that you don't necessarily always have in an in-person classroom it also removes for some of our kids those those social elements and so um, we know school environment can um, our goal is always to make it as welcoming and and as socially positive as possible for all of our kids Um, and for some of our kids um, that that isn't always the case and so um, at the same time there's also the flexibility to log in when when you want to log in log out when you want to log out and so it's not a typical you know seven and a half hour school day and that works for, for some kids for some personalities for some some family structures and so those are just a few of the elements where I've seen some glimmers of success um, related to, to kind of this whole difficult situation that we've experienced <laughs>
1: Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. our show today we're going to talk about education something near and dear to my heart one of the things that has been going on since COVID-19
2: has been now Arnold you you were on just for background purposes (laughs) okay you were on the board of education here I was on the board
1: of education in Webster Grove School District and then I was before that I retired as deputy superintendent in the Fox School District. Look out! I was I did uh, HR and business down there, elementary ed, uh-huh. and I was an elementary principal. Okay. And I taught elementary music and j- junior
2: high and high school band. Wow! So our guest is has <laughs> got his work cut out for him. Talk, oh, talking it, to you, <laughs> but it,
1: it, it's it's something oh. near and dear, and I think uh, one of the things that I I have always thought about in education is that everybody's an expert because most people have been through quote-unquote the system mm-hmm. and if you've been through the public school system then you are i guess inherently an expert at how things should be
2: run mm. and nothing is further from the truth no i was just gonna say what are you crazy <laughs> uh, however that's that's what some people think right my wife is Excuse on the me. school board and yes she is. At richmond heights and just you know, what I think is the right way to go, and then she comes out of one of her meetings, and she just, you know, spews it all out. I'm going, oh, boy, what I don't know <laughs> could fill a book.
1: Well, and there's, there's a lot of yeah. things out there, and uh, I guess what I want to do before we talk to our, our guest uh, this morning uh, on the 11 o'clock hour, and then we have another one that's going to be speaking very s- to the same topic in a different way at the 12 o'clock hour Is when you look at public education, it was designed to really educate the masses to, my words, perpetuate our republic, our democratic republic. Mm -hmm. And to give an understanding of civics and how you're supposed to function in a society, as well as educate in Mm -hmm. the three R's. Uh, That's kind of my synopsis version, quick synopsis version. And you think back to John Dewey and the school systems that were set up. You think about kindergarten, which was actually established here in St. Louis. The first kindergarten was established here by Susan Blow in St. Louis. Wow. And how schools were set up K-8, and then there was a high school. Excuse me. And eighth grade education, when my mom and my dad went to school, was probably more substantial than a high school diploma is today. Wow! High schools came into existence. So, you know, you graduated with an eighth grade education. Boom, you either went to a trade, which was mostly going on. Very Mm -hmm. few people went to college, the university setting. But I'm really talking about K-8 education. Then you went to kind of a middle school concept, mm-hmm. and what was changing, what was, my words, what was morphing was the structure of how it was, the, the existent structure, not necessarily what was going on on the inside. Learning still kind of had this, my words, top-down uh, regurgitation from the teacher to the student, and there very little interaction there except, you know, here's the test, give me back, you get this, great. Right. and. PK, pre-K, preschool started to be added to that. There would be morphing into like sixth grade centers or groupings of kids like third and fourth grade and things like that. But what still essentially remained the same was the delivery of learning. And that's what we're talking about. And I'm gonna give you some words, folks. Distance learning, online learning, virtual learning, hybrid learning, blended learning. Some people may think they're all the same, They have similarities, but they're not. And our guest today is Dr. Jason Adams. He's Assistant Superintendent for Learning in the Webster Grove School District. Prior to that, he served as principal in the Maplewood-Richmond Heights School District. He has done a variety of things and is really put on the forefront, along with teachers, not only in the Webster Grove School District, but in every school district, on how are we going to manage this system now because of COVID-19, virtual learning, really through uh, a not a curveball but i think a curveball a spitter and a and a slider all <laughs> in one that, 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 to to teachers yeah. and for those of you out there parents who are listening and kids who are listening and teachers who are listening teachers have worked harder in virtual learning than they have in in person learning right. and if you don't believe that then you need to talk to every single one of the teachers that your children has right now and has had in the past so if you think it's easy it's been really really hard and I know your kids struggle and maybe you struggle with trying to get them to get things done and you have things to do but the the staff have been working very hard Jason welcome to St. Louis in Tune
0: thank you good morning thanks for having me <laughs>
1: sorry for that lengthy uh, really? kind of uh,
2: I, could, I couldn't stop on <laughs> Gets <laughs> on oh, that roll, you can't great. stop. He's right like, now. "When's that boy going to take a breath?" <laughs> we're trying to get in there.
1: <laughs> so, Jason, as you have experienced this from uh, your vantage point and assisting uh, the school district in Webster Groves, what have you seen as some of the things that have been very effective in? the virtual learning instruction, and what are some things that have not been as effective? What did you expect to be effective? What did you expect not to be effective? Talk to us a little bit about that, because I think parents, you know, they, they always think school systems have things perfectly set up, and it's sometimes it's it's a an evolutionary process.
0: Yeah, th- those are great questions. And so, to your point, typically, you know, most educators, most teachers, and most administrators are teachers by trade. Um, we like to be organized. We like to have everything structured and everything planned out. And and the curveball you talked about earlier is definitely a great way to describe how, how this last year, this last 12 months have, have really felt for educators um, due to the COVID-19 situation. And so starting with the beginning of this school year, our goal in Webster Groves was really to look at what occurred in the spring when we were very much in an emergency situation, we were very much responding um, to the situation and things were were changing rapidly. Then we moved into the summer, and so we had some time to plan, but also not quite sure how the the national environment, the, the larger landscape would continue to evolve and continue to impact what we were doing. And so we focused on our survey data, from our families, from our teachers, and and really tried to focus in on a few key areas that we felt like we could do better with starting this school year than how we had previously done those um, in the spring. And so a couple of those were really focusing more on live virtual instruction instead of just posting assignments or having students um, go in and click on links and, and do games or watch a video or that sort of thing. How do we actually connect the teacher and the kids in a more powerful way. So that was goal number one. And then the second goal really was to focus on how we could provide better feedback for our kids, rather than just, you know, great job, you completed the assignment. How do we actually kind of recreate what that experience is like from the in-person classroom, but do it in a virtual setting, where we're actually saying, you know, here's what you did well, here's what you need to do next time, here's perhaps why you didn't get the answer that you thought you would get. And so we went into this fall really thinking about those two key areas. And so was it perfect? Absolutely not. I don't think any school district, any school administrator, any teacher um, who's experienced, any parent for that matter, who's experienced these um, past few months would would say that anything that, that folks have done has been perfect. But I will say that I believe we made some strides in terms of our live virtual instruction that we were able to offer and in terms of the feedback that we were able to offer. Um, with that, I would say that areas where we we continue to try to problem solve, especially since we've gone back um, in most situations to in-person learning, the quarantine situation has, has been a, a recent challenge for us. And so with students, um, not necessarily the, the transmission of COVID-19 within our schools, but due to weekend activities or evening things, COVID-19 does come into the school. And so how do we um, support learning while kids are away from us for a week or two due to quarantine? And so that's something we continue to problem solve. Um, other areas where we haven't necessarily been the most effective or didn't quite start out the way that we we intended, and then we've had to innovate and continue to change. Um, some of that has been just in terms of um, – Not all of our students engaged right away with the newest round of virtual learning. And so we had to do some problem solving with our administrative teams and with our teachers in terms of do we need to bring some of our students in to the building in order to make sure that we have supervision for them and and to hold um, some degree of accountability for some of our students. And so several weeks into the fall, we started a learning monitoring program at all of our levels in the district and started to bring small handfuls of students into the building who perhaps were were just struggling with the virtual environment, perhaps um, were dealing with some social-emotional, mental health issues, um, or were were just not being successful academically with with their work. And so that allowed us to really um, focus in on certain groups of kids who really needed an additional level of support. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was one thing that I don't think – went perfectly the way that we intended it to at the beginning, but we innovated and continue to try to to figure that piece out. Um, but I will say also one thing that has been kind of surprising is that for some of our families, this, this new adventure, if you will, um, has been successful for families and for some of our kids. And so mm-hmm. that's something that we have to continue to think about going forward, is for some of our families, um, this virtual element has been successful
1: for them. You know, describe some of the success that some of those kids have had, and that's not the first time I've heard that, and a lot of the research bears out that, my words, virtual learning is sometimes better adapted for some students or a group of students more so than the traditional kind of setting that we know. Can you discuss that a little bit?
0: Sure. So, I think for me, one of my fundamental beliefs about about learning is that it's social and that learning occurs through collaboration, And um, but that also very much fits how I learn best. And so for some of our kids, learning isn't social, and that social element or that collaboration element, we all, we all know the kids when we were in school who didn't want to do the group project or who wanted to be independent and to, and to do their own thing, whether that's their own topic, whether that's Complete their assignment on their own, and so this virtual element allows for a degree of independence that you don't necessarily always have in an in person classroom. It also removes for some of our kids those those social elements and so um, we know school environment can um, our goal is always to make it as welcoming and and as socially positive as possible for all of our kids um, and for some of our kids um, that that isn't always the case and so um, at the same time, there's also the flexibility to log in when when you want to log in log out when you want to log out and so it's not a typical you know seven and a half hour school day and that works for for some kids for some personalities for some some family structures and so those are just a few of the elements where i've seen some glimmers of success um, related to to kind of this whole difficult situation that we've experienced
1: well and and that's that's a great point and I I think sometimes parents feel they'll want to see school appear like it used to be. And I guess from my perspective and maybe from yours is that from this point forward, the delivery of learning really needs to, um, I don't want to say be a, a cafeteria kind of approach where I take what I need or what I want, but how are we going to best fit a learning the delivery of learning for students, and and as you mentioned, the uh, the social aspect of that, which which is critical, and some kids actually, you know, my wife's a teacher, and she mentioned that that a lot of the kids there they're, who weren't doing well in the traditional setting are really doing well in the virtual setting, right? But they still need that connection how do you deal with the connection of those kids who maybe don't want to be in the large group but they still need that interaction with with the teacher or with somebody to kind of help them along the way?
0: Yeah I think think especially at the secondary level this has really um, caused us to think outside the box around kids who who haven't responded or perhaps don't show up for a Zoom session but complete their assignment and turn it in that evening and so A lot of our teachers, a lot of our administrators and counselors have had to basically develop different degrees of response for different kids and different families based on what that family's needing. And so that could look like, um, because everybody can benefit from a connection. I don't want it to sound like that we want the future of learning to look like a student with just their computer kind of independent and doing their own thing. I think there are varying degrees of to which that can be successful, and but everybody can benefit from a connection mm-hmm. to to another human being, mm-hmm. and so um, right. even in the situation where someone would prefer to be more independent, I think it's still important to have those connections set up or established. Maybe it's a point person, maybe it's mm-hmm. a counselor who's checking in with a student or partnering with the family um, who may not perhaps be participating in an eight-hour full-day school environment. So I think I could see us going forward, um, and especially a lot of your larger districts, I think this virtual component will very much have a presence in the future, COVID or not, um, in terms of just whether or not that's worked for for some of our kids. And I could also see that even um, continuing to impact at the university level and some of those online programs starting to maybe shift down to what it looks like at high school, and and kind of that that creating that opportunity for more independence.
1: You know, I was uh, reading an article uh, from the New York Times that, it was an opinion article, make schools more human, and they mentioned uh, four lessons that the pandemic has kind of helped reveal about traditional learning, and that, uh, I'm just going to read these and have you comment on that, the limits of one-size-fits-all schooling doesn't, really work. Second lesson, the necessity of making schools more human. Third, that we cannot set the needs of students against the needs of adults. And lastly, how to catch students up on what they missed during the pandemic. And I know you kind of mentioned a little bit on the last one about bringing some kids in. Give give some thoughts on those four things that were mentioned uh, in, that, in that New York Times article that I mentioned to you. And if I need to repeat them again, I, I will do that.
0: Sure, I, I'd love to start with the final one about just catching catching kids up. And so, what we we were very intentional starting this this newest school year um, back in August with looking at our curriculum. And for those who who don't sit and look at curriculum and and don't get excited about curriculum like I do, um, when you think about curriculum, and and this is you know pre K through twelfth grade. There, every curriculum, every content area has core areas that, that the curriculum needs to focus in on, those core mastery standards. And then within those standards, there are these supporting skills that aren't necessarily essential, but support the overall learning of those core skills. And then in every course and every class and every grade level, there are those like-to-do experiences that that are kind of tradition or that the teacher enjoys um, having students do or that the kids really get a kick out of. But when we look at whether or not they they are essential or necessary to get to that core content, the answer isn't always yes. And so I think what we what we really f- tried to focus on were just those core concepts. What, what does a third grader need to know in order to be able to be successful in fourth grade? What does a student at the high school level need to have in place as they – graduate from this course so that they have the the prerequisite knowledge to go into the next course or to move to college. And so in terms of catching up, we tried to be proactive in terms of identifying those core concepts ahead of time and really focusing in on those throughout the learning this year, while also making connections to what had previously happened in the spring of last year. And we'll have to continue to do that even as we move into this next school year just to make sure that that we are reinforcing those skills. It's very important, too, to understand that, like, at the elementary level, a lot of your standards and a lot of your curriculum, they do spiral from year to year. And so it's not necessarily a whole new slate of learning. It may be at a deeper level. It may be um, at a way of looking at it differently than what you did the year before. But the core concept is very much the same. And so... Um, that's really important to understand, too, that that if, you know, we feel like we, we left second grade missing all these things, they will come back in another grade level. They will be supported at a deeper level, but how do we really use our assessments to identify where our kids are specifically in that area so that as we're moving them toward mastery with the next grade level of content, we can really focus in on how we move those individual kids forward. We're also really looking at our summer programming and um, are there any tweaks or changes that we need to make in terms of um, credit recovery for high school level students and then also just content mastery and exposure for our elementary students so traditionally we've had a pretty strong focus on reading for summer school, but we're really looking at are there other areas such as the writing component, the math component, that we really need to um, provide opportunities to strengthen as well.
1: We're having a conversation with Jason Adams, Assistant Superintendent for Learning in the Webster Grove School District, and we're talking about a specific topic that relates to these things I'm going to list. Distance learning, online learning, virtual learning, hybrid learning, blended learning, remote learning how things have changed because of COVID-19. And before we go on, Jason, I wanted to um, ask you this question. It kind of relates to the New York Times article again, because uh, we talked about catching students up, etc., cetera, like that, setting the needs of students against the needs of adults. I know teachers have specific ways they like to do things, and this is kind of, as you mentioned earlier, blown some things out of the water, my words, changed perspectives on how things needed to be done. And discuss a little bit about how educators can kind of position themselves as we go on to the next school year, the 21-22 school year, based upon what we've learned so far.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I will say um, the balance of how to best support those who are in a position to best support our students. That that really is a constant conversation in school districts and in schools um, regarding how do we support our adults who are there to support our kids. And so it's so different than just, here's a book, go teach this, especially in this environment. Um, Our staff have really had to be pushed and challenged in ways that they they haven't necessarily had to teach or think about before and i am so proud of of the wonderful work that they've done and the flexibility that they've exhibited in order to be able to to reach our kids during this environment and i also have to say too you know our families um the burden that our families have experienced the burden that our students have experienced um that needs to be acknowledged as well because it, it really has been been a difficult situation for everyone and so Going forward, I think, if anything, this experience has taught us the, you know, when you're, in, when you're an undergraduate and you're going through education school or, or to become a teacher, they constantly reinforce and reinforce at the university level the importance of flexibility and the ability to be agile and to change. And I mentioned earlier that as educators, we like to be in control. We like to be organized. We like to be planned. And this experience has taught us that, that we we don't have control over every situation. And so that ability to be flexible has never been more true than it has been during this situation. Um, And so I think that's something that we will continue to to focus on and to develop. And there's also the importance of, I speak about this quite a bit um, in our meetings and in my own personal life, just the importance of giving ourselves grace and allowing ourselves to, to make a mistake, to take a risk, but not to continue to make that mistake, to to honor it, to acknowledge that it happened, but then to learn from that. Mm. And so I think those two things are really going to be, for me anyway, um, the things I'm taking from this experience are a lot of negative things um, that I'll never forget from this experience. And I'm sure we're not out of the woods yet. There there are still difficulties that that we have to encounter coming up. But those are the two things that I will really be focusing on and trying to take away from this experience, And, and I know other educators will be as well.
1: I, I think those are those are very important to understand from, uh, especially from for p- parents to understand where staff's coming from, and it's one thing to work in an office and have your little cubicle, and then all of a sudden now you're working at home, and you basically your cubicle or your office is at home versus you know trying to instruct for anywhere from eighteen to twenty five uh, children. Uh, I I know a kindergarten teacher know several, but one in particular. I said, "Well, how are you going to teach them to tie their shoes?" And uh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> you know, it's it's simple things like that mm-hmm. that you know when you're not in person, you Great. have to get a little creative with. Right. Question as it relates right. to kind of systems, and and you did mention that educators we like to be you know really organized and have things done a certain way but there also needs to be flexibility. What systems do you think really need to be in place for that flexibility to be able to be maximized? For instance, you know, we know that there's a broad spectrum of economic uh, situations going on across the metropolitan area and even across the state and country. Some districts will be able to pass out laptops or Chromebooks to kids. Some are having to use their phones or their parents' phones at home, having access to Wi-Fi and Internet. And then, uh, you know, technology is one whole aspect, but then it becomes the, uh, okay, now kids have this, I don't want them playing games while we're doing virtual learning. And there are programs, there's a lot of things set up that can keep things focused. Talk a little bit about the systems that you see really need to be uh, worked on or put into place as we continue in this, uh, my words, virtual world?
0: Yeah, I think that that's, again, a really good point. Uh, for me, I, I'm going to focus in first on just the, the access to Internet for for families and for kids um, beyond what the school district can provide. I'm, I'm really proud with how um, our tech team and our, our school principals and teachers work together to provide devices to our kids and then also hotspots for families um, who needed that, but then some of the challenges that we've experienced is even as folks had access access um, to Internet and the capability of Internet in, in different households and in, in different experiences, it varied. And so sometimes that impacted um, Zoom conversations and your ability to hear, your ability to connect, or your ability to, ability to access our... Um, our virtual learning systems that we had in place. So for me, I think that, that's an important piece that, that as a community, as, as a society, that's something the internet's not going away. And so that's something that we really uh, need to think about in terms of learning. And I think this, this experience has really um, opened that conversation up for folks. I also wanna focus in on too, just with, with the system piece, we often schooling is focused in on the education piece as far as academics. Um, But really during this time, several other areas really surfaced for us. And one was just the the need of food for some of our families and for some of our kids. And a lot of times we don't think of um, schools or school districts as being a source of of nutrition and as a source of food for for our families. And so, especially during times when we were in virtual um, situations, We ended up opening a food pantry as a district Um, and the community was incredibly supportive of that but making sure that, that our kids had access to that. And so when we're talking about a systems level And this may be different than what you were intending, but I really do think um, in terms of everything kind of functioning together in order to get the academic results that we want, there are so many other factors that have to be considered. I think a third area for me is really the importance of social-emotional learning and understanding on the part of our families and on, on the part of our staff in terms of there were so many other things that needed to be supported and dealt with in terms of reaching that academic piece. Um, and had to be dealt with before you could even bring up the conversation of the academic piece, um, and so I think that's something that has to be focused on as well. Um, really, just as a system, you know, many many school districts have tech departments. Many school districts um, have professional learning uh, for staff. Those those are just necessary components. But I think this whole experience has really pushed forward the importance of continuing to learn as educators, um, but also really focusing in on what are those key things that, that our staff need to learn? And being open to hearing their feedback and responsive um, to their feedback as well because they're, they're the ones living it. Our, our teachers in the classroom have the most important feedback that we can receive in terms of what they need to know and in terms of how we can best support them. Um, so going forward, those, those are kind of the areas that I think um, in, in terms of education that we really need to be focusing on
1: those are some great points and and as you were speaking about that it reminded me of clubs and activities that kids in elementary middle school and high school engage in uh, after school uh, sometimes before school sometimes during school that are a part of that social uh, social uh, emotional level that needs to be developed what are you guys doing as it relates to anything like that? Are, there, are you setting up, like, a virtual chess club or, you know, those kinds of things? Uh, speak to that a little bit.
0: Sure. So really at the secondary level, a lot of our, um, you know, athletics are, are in place, obviously, with, with a great deal of restriction. Um, at our elementary level, some of our experiences have um, we haven't brought back for this year, um, for instance our, our strings program we are um, processing through how we can do that virtually um, it, it would be great if we could be outside and we could you know have those spaces, but some of those areas, especially like in our district the the strings program, students travel from different schools and, and transportation and it 's just very very complicated, especially in this environment to bring some of those pieces so we know that that's important. We know it's important for kids to still have those connections. And for some of our kids, that, that's the highlight of the day. And so um, we have tried to be responsive. Um, have we 100% recreated everything that, that we have been able to do in the past? No, um, but that is definitely something that, that we look forward to getting back into practice and getting back in place because we know our kids need it.
1: So put your crystal ball hat on And uh, (laughs) Mark liked that one. That's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And forecast what you think learning will look like post-COVID-19. This is – we're not going to hold this – Hold you to this. Oh, yeah, we are. Yes, we are. Because, you know, things are changing every day, and, you know, the illustration of building the aircraft as it's flying, or we always like to change the tire. I never believed you could change a tire (laughs) while you're driving, but I've actually seen it done. No. There are some YouTube videos on uh, changing a tire while you're going down the road. Really? Yeah. It's kind of getting on two wheels. I'm going to look at that. Somebody crawls out and tries to do that. So you're really doing these kinds of major changes, because they are major changes, to the structure of how learning is delivered. Where do you see this going when the pandemic has finally rested?
0: Yeah, I, I think number one, I, I do think we've, we've been talking about certain kids um, where virtual learning has been, been a positive experience for them. So I could see virtual components um, continuing to develop um, you know, Missouri has a, a virtual learning program that, that families can access and the districts have access to. Um, I could see more interest in that in the future. Um, I could see larger districts like you know Hazelwood, a St. Louis Public, a Parkway creating their own type of virtual learning program. Um, in terms of the, the district, the size of Webster Groves and the staffing. That it would need to to recreate something like that because basically when you talk about staffing, if you're talking about an in-person program and a virtual program, you're kind of almost you have to have staff that that do one or the other. And exactly. so, you know, at Webster Groves High School, there are 200 300 courses that are offered um, every semester, and so you can't recreate that in a virtual program. You have to focus just on you know what are the graduation requirements, what are those main main areas that that are needed and so anyway I could see us definitely um, the virtual learning piece continuing I could see us and I think it's very important I I don't want to say I could see us I want us to really get back to that human piece that you talked about that connection piece um, is so so important and I think you know this has been a traumatic experience for for our kids for our families for our staff for for everyone really and so really focusing in on that social-emotional piece and making sure that, that our kids are whole and that our kids are well um, beyond just what they get on that math test or or reading level, um, it's really important to make sure that, that our kids are doing well socially emotionally. And so I, I think that's going to have to be something that we focus on going forward. And really um, just getting back, back to business. I, I know... We want to say that we've learned a great deal of, of new innovative things and some of those things will definitely stick around. If anything, this experience has shown us that, that the four walls of the school classroom or, or the building don't necessarily have to be the limits or the constraints of what we do in learning. We now have technology, and we now have knowledge of how to use that technology in an even better way than what we've had up to this point. And so I think that opens up a lot of doors um, for our kids and for our teachers as well.
1: Last thing I'd like for you to do is speak to the staff, to the students and the parents, about um, this experience Mm -hmm. and uh, how you want to encourage them to persevere and continue.
0: Mm Yeah, You know, know, this is... um, this is kind of an emotional question. I'm so proud of the work of, of our educators and and of our families for this has been such a challenge and I'm so proud of our kids. Um, I think out of everyone, our kids have probably been the most flexible and, and the most adaptable. Um, at the same time, I know this has been such a challenge in our families and I really I want to acknowledge that. Um, I, I can't imagine, and so, and then our staff—just the the flexibility, the amount of learning, the amount of risk-taking that they've had to do, um, the amount of, of opportunities to fail, and they've had to pick themselves back up. And again, it, it's not over yet. We still have we still have work to do. We still have kids that that we are continuing to move forward and continuing to focus on for the rest of the school year, and hopefully, you know hopefully it looks different starting next school year, but those are things that are still very much on our mind. And so I think if I had to summarize it for everybody, I'm just so proud of how everybody has really pulled together and done the best that we possibly can with a focus on our kids.
1: We've been talking to Dr. Jason Adams, Assistant Superintendent for Learning in the Webster Grove School District. Jason, thank you very much for joining us today on St. Louis In Tune.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you, Jason. You know, Mark, some excellent points there that – And I really liked this statement, four walls of a school are not the limit for how we define learning, Right. not
2: only for students, but for staff as well. Right, right. What a challenge. Uh, uh, We talked about this, I guess, off mic, how we've kind of been lunged, thrown into this new era of learning. Uh, Nobody asked for it. Nobody wanted it. But uh, I think coming out the other end, it's going to be a good thing. I think it's going to be really good for us. Um, I do worry about the students that need to be at the school and make sure that they're able to. And I know a lot of the school districts, you know, have a have a plan for this. If you're having struggling, if you're a a student that has to have that one on one or at least be in those four walls. You know, I know they've worked out uh, opportunities for those students to come into the schools and to be there. Um, And the other challenge i see is those single parent families where that where that family member of a younger you know a second third fourth fifth grader you know has to go to work and it's a you know that's the only only adult that's around that can help you know help that that student i think you know things have to be uh put in place to help those particular students maybe they come in to the and I, I'm you know I'm I'm just not sure how they how these uh, teachers are teaching. Where are they teaching from? Are they in their classroom? Are they at home? I know there's been a lot of teachers that have been doing it remotely and not even coming into the schools. But I know they're starting to come back now. I'd like to see them do their their virtual classes from their classrooms and then if there's a couple of students that need to be there, they'll have the opportunity to be in the classroom with them. But
1: Yeah, yeah. that's and you know, when you have maybe four kids who are school age.
2: Right. And they're all having to
1: learn virtually and maybe their schedules all combine and maybe the parents working from home, you have that bandwidth that's right. just getting crunched. Oh yeah. Um, so I know those are some other logistic kinds of things. I've even heard that some families uh, the single-parent family, when there's multiple kids, they're okay to have the kids at home mm-hmm. because it's I don't have to worry about child care arrangements because the older child is right. the natural kind of caretaker, right. which does put an undue burden on them, but I think that is an expectation yeah. uh, a little bit in some families. Uh, and many of the things that you mentioned are you know just critical. I don't think we would come to this point of really looking at the delivery of learning like this, apart from the pandemic. Mm. I think there have been things that have been thrust out into the education realm that have been embraced immediately, and people have gone the other extreme and shot it down, and people have tried it. I went to—you and I went to a school system that was very progressive, and Mm. I know that some of the things that they tried— Right out of the gate, uh, you know, you didn't even make it to the first turn on the track and it was thrust aside. Right. And I think of the kids who end up being, my words, guinea pigs of educational experiments that,
2: that, <laughs> linguistics, <laughs> uh, ITA, whatever that was. ITA, yeah. okay. right. Uh,
1: reading. So, yeah. you know, it's things Good. like that that mm-hmm. I, I think has really, many times, educators have hamstrung themselves. Mm-hmm. To do those kinds of things, so this is going to be very, very interesting. And I think the research that comes out of this time about virtual learning will be extremely valuable. But what, what Jason mentioned was is extremely valuable. Are the people who are on the front lines dealing with this? Right. An administrator can set up some kind of structure, and it's like you seriously—that's not going to work. I can't teach in person and online right. or on, virtually at the same time. Right. You know, I can't ex- be expected to handle this group of kids and then right. go home and do this right so uh staffing's going to be right a challenge i've even thought while he was uh, discussing some of the uh social kinds of issues that those districts that have social workers, Mm -hmm. team up maybe with some community health workers or social workers and checking in on the parents also, especially Uh single parent families. Uh, how's, How's your stress level? Uh, where are you at with? Are you able to you know take care of things? Not prime, but it's a trust thing. It's a right. uh, taking care of, and you know this human factor again.
2: Yeah. A couple of things we did at uh, in at Maplewood Richmond Heights is each teacher has got to go and visit each. Uh, home of each uh, student i love that so uh, when they go in it just by going in you can see right what the situation is if there's social help that they need you know they can help them down that road and what have you but you but having that teacher actually go into that home and you got like 20 students so there's 20 visits it's not an overwhelming task if you cut it up like that so they're able to go in and take a look at that and another thing mrh is doing i'm sure other districts have and we're just getting going to start this uh after the 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 second quarter here the first semester's over is kind of uh monday when monday tuesday and wednesday or monday tuesday thursday morning and then the kids will do uh they'll do learning in the afternoon too so i'm interested to see how that works kind of a a melded, uh, you know, mm-hmm. be you'll you'll be in class in the morning, but you'll be in class online in the afternoon, right? You right. Know, see how that works too.
1: Yeah, and those home visits, I think are are really, I think they're really important because we've disconnected in our society, and we need to connect back. Right. And it's not a judgment factor. No of, wow, look at this place. Uh, right. You know, yeah. I can't believe you're living in a place like this. Right. It's nothing like that. It's making that connection that, hey, your your child is important to me, and you're important to me, and I want right. to make sure that they learn the best right. uh, they can and and set up that relationship and uh, assist with other kinds of things. Because, you know, let's face it. If you got visited by a parent or by a teacher mm-hmm. and they ask, well, can I help you out with food? Right. You know, there's a pride factor, right. uh, and – but there's also taking care of things.
2: Well, it's a more one-on-one too, where right. you know it might not be. And you know, I got to go sign up and you know, stand in the line and do it. But it's more like, yeah, we could we could actually use some help. I just lost my job. Just so many factors. A lot change. of factors. Yeah.
1: We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.